Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing today? Well, I have discovered the joys of Ted Lasso, so I am doing just great, Justin. Thanks. One of us. One of us. One of us. (laughs) Pursuant to this episode, one of our episodes focuses i have a question for you both which fictional journalist would you most like to shadow for a day i am gonna go with hmm who do i i mean the topical answer is trent crim of the independent (laughs) but i don't i feel like that's not my answer i think my answer would probably be hmm there's a correct answer here interesting there is a correct you think there's a correct answer here Yes, there is. Hmm. Of course, you ask this, and I go completely blank on like fiction. So I think my I think my answer is going to be Lois Lane. That is the correct answer. And <laughs> my my reasoning for this is, I would be curious to see if she is actual if if it's actually like as hard to notice Clark Kent as it, she seems to think it is. Do I notice him when he walks by, or do I just be like, oh fuck, it's Superman in glasses? Like, do, do, out of the corner of your eye, you go, man, that's Superman in a suit. Nope, that's Clark Kent. Like, I would be interested to see if, in my own personal view, is is that disguise effective or not. It's a good answer. I'm not, I'm not sure if I have anything better than that. I mean, there's always uh, Trent Krim from The Independent. <laughs> my, my instinct was to ask whether, like, Velma from the Scooby Gang somehow counts. I think she probably went to journalism school and, like, post, like, Mystery Machine weed trip. Like, she is definitely a journalist of some sort. Because, like, I feel like that would just be fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that. (laughs) Here's the thing. I I would bet good money that Velma went to college but never finished it because (laughs) she was unable to reconcile the experiences of her youth with the dogma of uh, the collegiate atmosphere. That's my that's my hot take on Velma. I think Velma is now essentially Veronica Mars with a worse color with a worse color palette. She's like solving crimes and like drinking too much and not taking Shaggy's calls. <laughs> but but taking Daphne's calls. I don't yeah. think that's all she's taking from Daphne. <laughs> This is uh, off topic and won't get onto the air, but there's one, no, of, the, one of the, sure? no, uh, one of the, one of the cartoon, one of the, my, my son absolutely adores uh, Scooby-Doo, but one of the cartoons he watches about Scooby-Doo has this really fucking irritating plot line where, where Velma is like super into Shaggy and is like trying to be, get him to be her boyfriend. And oh she's God, like, are you watching Mystery Incorporated? Maybe. I don't know. Hell yes. I just know that there's that this. Like <laughs> Mystery Inc. is good. It, it's like low key thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well there's and, this, and then it like it it then gets like thirst. It gets like very thirsty with da- 
Daphne and Velma too. Does it? Okay. Well, all I know is that for a while there, da- uh, Velma is like like all up in. Velma's like trying to get Shaggy to like be her boyfriend, and she's like, "Wear these other pants. Don't say um so much." And I'm just like, "Can we not with this? Can we do something different with Velma, who is entirely too smart to waste her time on this fucking stoner? Um, can we do something else?" She gets a semi girlfriend later in the show. Sold. Yeah, mystery mystery Inc. is the one where like halfway through, both Velma and Daphne decide that like both. Fred and Shaggy are fucking useless. Nice. And okay. Not appropriate romantic material. Good. Yeah, no. Fred, Fred, you could like easily ca- had canon as Arrow Ace with his only like interest in tra- is in traps. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I love that all modern interpretations and, and honestly, of Fred. Shaggy, too. Yeah. Well, uh, let's not speculate on what turns Shaggy on. I think that's a conversation for another podcast that needs a different rating. Um, but I love that we've already got the E on all, the e for explicit here. Yeah, I think I love that all modern interpretations of F- Fred are that he's only interested, only interested in nets and traps. That's it. <laughs> he's a shitty leader. He's kind of a shitty friend. But man, he's like a walking goddamn encyclopedia about net materials. And that's it. Like. <laughs> Yeah. He he is a completely unself-aware, self-lampshading joke about his own trap enthusiasm, and I love it. It's fantastic. Let's do a Babylon 5 podcast. Yeah, he's a kobold. Um uh, yeah, let's let's do this. Um so tonight we are the Shadow War is over, but we still have episodes to watch. <laughs> season um, and a half. We've got a season and a half left. Who knows what's here? We are the wild. We are the wild blue yonder here. Yep. All right. Tonight we are covering season four, episodes seven and eight. We have sixteen more episodes. <laughs> what the fuck are we going to talk about? Um, we'll find out. Uh, epiphanies and the illusion of truth. Lana, I believe you have epiphanies. Uh, no. no, unfortunately that, that for you, you, that's me. Go oh, okay. So, oh, when I did the word count, when I did the word count earlier, I counted the wrong one. Yeah, Dude, take us away. All right. So first up, we've got epiphanies, written by JMS, directed by John C. Flynn the uh, Third, which sounds like either an oil baron or someone who uh, lives in their own mansion and designs fantastic airplanes. For uh, a few years. Sounds like a leverage villain. Yeah, that too. So our first... That are a thriller author. Yeah. Our first post-Shadow War episode begins, as is perhaps appropriate, with fireworks. All around the station, Star Furies fly formations and set off colorful explosions. Fireworks seem a lot more chill in space to me. There's no sound to startle dogs and veterans. I appreciate that. In voiceover, Sheridan narrates yet another captain's log over scenes of celebration. The whole Zoklo is a party. My sarcastically favorite part is Franklin, who did basically nothing all war, except keep a seat warm at the CPK t- picnic table of victory, partying like he single-handedly won the whole goddamn thing. I do have a note on this, but we will get to eventually. <laughs> My actual favorite part, though, is that there are monks out in the crowd. Brother Theo's retinue are like jamming like it's 1999 out there in the, out there in the party. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's super cool. On a walkway above the party, Sheridan watches over the whole party. Uh, He's feeling melancholic, 
apparently, ostensibly about what's next. Uh, I'm guessing he's worried about not having any more wars to, to, to commit crimes in. But uh, we'll see if he doesn't squeeze a few in. What is he going to nuke next, Jude? That's what I'm saying. I'm sure that that is causing him a sad. Uh, Delenn arrives and he decides to be happy in the moment. Perhaps thinking that there are nukes in his future as yet unexploded. On Earth, we get a nice 90s video game FMV flyby of Earth Dome. This is a wild bit of CG that really does look like it's out of like an early Command and Conquer video game. Icor's headquarters, which is hilariously ostentatious and phallic. It's a big giant dick of a building with the Psychor Upsilon on it. Another Psychor stiff, no pun intended, with an incredibly frowny face of a mustache is telling Bester about the president's new plan, which pulls from all of his crony divisions. Something rattled him big time, he says, as if he doesn't have any idea what it could possibly be. Possibly the destruction of the shadows, I'm guessing. His plan, he wants B5 shut down permanently. Dun, dun, dun. Cue credits. Bester asks, why don't we just send in the troops? If the president wants B5 shut down, demonstrating that even the highest levels of the president, at the highest levels, the president is not letting news of his failures get around, as apparently Bester doesn't know that Earth, Earth Force got sent packing with its tail between its legs the last time he tried this. Frowny Mustache explains that there's considerable sympathy for B5 amongst the alien governments. They want to knock out his support before going in. Meanwhile, on Centauri Prime, Prime Minister Londo has discovered that regicide and the forgiving of ancestral enemies do not a popular leader make. He's fucking off back to B5, ostensibly to get drunk and enjoy the strippers, as usual, while the heat cools down a bit back at home. The Centaurum, meanwhile, will be taking its time to pick a new emperor since they did soups good last time. And Goofy Minister Number 3, who does not now and will not for the rest of this episode, I think it's important to say, have a name. Maybe he has a name. I don't know what it is. And it's never said in this episode. Tells him a goofy, a very good joke about turning the family tree into a bush with, inter with inbreeding. Joke's on him, though. Turns out they want a regent until they get around to picking an emperor. And he's up. I have thoughts about this guy, but we'll get there later. On B5... Jakar is extending his bizarre faith in Garibaldi to his ex-boyfriend and having Franklin examine his eye. Franklin has what looks like a rejected sonic screwdriver prop and is waving it about authoritatively in Jakar's face, but there's no screen. He has no way to know what this device is telling him, and yet he seems to be getting data back from it. He reports back that there's no, uh, there's no infection. Says who? Says what? It doesn't even blink. It's just a dead prop in his hand. There's no screens within his eye lines. Like you said, it's a sonic screwdriver. Even even the even the doctor occasionally looks at the sonic screwdriver as if it can tell him something. The, Franklin <laughs> doesn't even do that. He just sort of holds it and waves and doesn't even wave it. He just sort of pokes it there as if it's going into his eye, but it's not doing anything. It's either a, an extremely lazy prop or Franklin is incompetent. You know which one I think it is. Jakar is uncomfortably forthcoming and nonchalant about the eye's removal. When Franklin further comments on the scar tissue, he obviously has no way of seeing, but is sympathetic at least, which is surprising and unusual, since usually he deals with a patient he wants to sleep with with a predatory smirk and not actual empathy. I'm just taking it as a given that he wants to sleep with Jakar, since everyone does. Uh, he does, however, give him some pain meds and says he might be able to hook him up with a prosthetic. 
Jakar is pretty psyched about that. But honestly, the idea of letting Franklin mess around with any of my body cavities, I or otherwise, is horrifying, and I can't really sympathize with his enthusiasm. As he's leaving, Franklin asks Jakar if it's true that the Narns tried to put Jakar in power. Jakar confirms it, and in response to Franklin's idiot-ass question of why he didn't take it, further confirming my suspicion that these two know each other only as my friend's boyfriend and my friend's my boyfriend's sexy lizard friend, Jakar says, I have seen what power does, and I have seen what power costs. The one is never equal to the other. They say that God doesn't give with two hands, but apparently he does if you're Jakar. Anyway, in his quarters, the aforementioned Baldi is getting ready to shave, wearing a robe that looks like it's made from the carpet of a tacky Las Vegas casino, when he draws a weird, not smiley face in the steam on the mirror. It's like a like a straight smiley face. I don't know. It's weird. It's a, it's, it's a grumpy face. It's a grumpy face. Sure, we'll go with that. He draws a grumpy face in the steam in the mirror. The music tells us this is creepy, but honestly, the creepiest part is that he didn't draw a dick, which is absolutely what I'm sure he usually draws in the steam on a window or uh, a, a window or mirror. After he draws it, he flashes back to being held captive, but is interrupted by that nice uh, recollection by a call that security tells him is untraceable. Not at all nefarious. When he answers the call, he gets a face full of 90s psychedelic magic eye bullshit, after which he tonelessly orders the computer to delete the record of the call and all logs. It's not how that works, but, you know, that's not what this podcast is for. Uh, and goes back to the bathroom, wiping away the face in the mirror. From there, he goes right to Sheridan's office and resigns as head of security. Reactions are predictably but insanely incredulous. Ivanova calls bullshit and seems to think he's not allowed to resign. Franklin wants him to go home and take a nap, but Baldy is insistent. He doesn't want to break a vacation or a pass to Disney Planet, which is perhaps the single most realistic bit of world building this show has ever done. Nope, he's done with it. Sheridan, however, has only one question. Why? What follows sounds like a rant you hear when they send comedians to interview vaccine deniers who are protesting outside of the wrong building. It's like one-third words that all sound reasonable and two-thirds paranoid jibber-jabber about getting out ahead and fighting battles and not trusting Sheridan. Um, Franklin just looks hurt. The whole staff seems weirdly upset that, that Garibaldi is quitting. Honestly, I find the whole thing disingenuous because I have trouble believing that, Frank, that Garibaldi contributed anything except a bad attitude and what I'm sure are some very hard days and nights for B5's HR team. Finally, he just says... I'm done, and apparently decides he's going to be a private dick as well as a private investigator. No, no reactions to my very good private dick joke. I will give you. I will give you a minor chuckle for that. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you the the emoji with the flat the flat faced emoji. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Elsewhere, Zach Allen is instructing what I guess are like new security recruits on how to swipe people through security. This appears to have all the complexity of being one of those people at airports who take your boarding pass and swipe it across the scanner, but he's acting as though it's some sort of complex and stressful endeavor. He makes it sound very complicated. Uh, and then Londo arrives. They banter about as if to say, hey, these two characters know each other. You believe that, right? Uh, there's a very funny joke about, B about Londo returning to B5 over the emperor's dead body that legitimately makes me laugh out loud every time I watch this episode. And then as soon as he finishes with Londo, Alan is trying to act all wise and worldly to his recruits when 
Bester saunters in. Uh, there's more bantering. And then he's tromped off to the brig. Uh, this is followed by some Elvises, but we'll talk about... I don't know how to pluralize Elvis. Elvi. Uh, Elvi. That's a topic <laughs> that I also want to cover in the uh, discussion. I, I to, 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 to quote a certain fantasy author, if you say it Elvises, you start talking about the ring and you're precious. <laughs> That's very good. Back in Baldi's quarters, Jakar has come calling, uh, and Baldi seems nervous to see him. He thanks Jakar for looking for him and apologizes that it cost him captivity in his eye. And just when he's starting to look really nervous, Jakar sweeps him up into a hug with a sing-song, Welcome home, Garibaldi! Because he's pure joy and light, and Jakar really br- just lightens every scene he's in. Um... He is full of joy by his own admission. Because he went looking for Garibaldi, he ended up in the right place to make a deal with Malari that freed his world. We'll talk about this scene. I have some, fe- I have some feelings about this scene, unsurprisingly. Uh, in, Sh- in Sheridan's office, Zach expresses disbelief at Baldi's resignation. But Sheridan is just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I have shit to do today. I don't have time to worry about this. Uh, we got to get on with our stuff. I got a psychop to deal with. So he sends Zach to go get Lita so that Lita can keep an eye on Bester and keep him from scanning them all. Uh, just as they're talking about this, they get an alert from C- CNC to turn on ISN. The reporter is talking about a new presidential mandate that forbids any Earth ship from going to or from B-5 and permits other Earth Force ships from arresting or firing upon any ship that violates the order. Uh, honestly, I was surprised that this wasn't the case already to begin with. Uh, Same. But... The more complex part is the BS excuse that it is in response to terrorist threats coming from B5, um, which is such a transparent load of horse manure that I feel like you'd have to be so completely brainwashed and moronic. You'd have to, I don't know, vote Republican or something to buy that kind of nonsense. (laughs) Oh, we ha- well, we can save our thoughts on ISN for the next episode. Yeah, yeah. and if you're and if you're interested in learning about how uh, terrorist threats can lead to dictatorial and authoritarian government, read Sp- uh, Spencer Ackerman's book "Rain on Terror." Yeah, coming out to <laughs> release today. Zach goes to get Lita, who appears to have gone to IKEA based on the big blue vinyl bags she's got, but is still sleeping on an air mattress. She is surprised to hear about Bester, and it transpires that she interned with a Psychops. How convenient. But it's kind of a load of shit, considering she was a pee who gives a crap when she, she went into world on space. She did with the Psychops, space. though. We, no, we established I, I mean, this in... No, I, yeah. I believe you. I'm saying it's just because narratively... Ta- Talia mentions it, actually. Yes. In the episode where Talia uh, goes away. Yes. No, I, I, I understand. I believe you. I'm just saying, for a pee, nobody gives a shit. It, it seems very convenient that Lita would have interned with the Psychops and met Bester. It's one of those everybody knows everybody in the universe sort of TV. I mean, I assume that Psychops, like Psychops have support structure that you don't have to be like a P12 for. Yeah. I guess. Anyway. Just had to jump on you for that one. As they're getting ready to go, she comments on how, how come nobody ever comes to visit me when they don't need something? It's always scan this person, protect that person, lure the Vorlon to his death. And Zach Morales admits that she's fucking creeping people out. What with the whole like best friends with Vorlons and maybe she got 
tinkered with by the Vorlons, which is a weird rumor to be extremely accurate. How did they nail that one right on the head? She looks mm. soups confused oh. and uncomfortable with that. Like, did somebody just walk in while she had like gills going on? And they're like, ooh, <laughs> never mind. That was a trick of the light. I think that Dr. Franklin might uh might be a little HIPAA non-compliant. Yeah. <laughs> she's says she's glad to know what's up, even if she kind of already did. It's nice to hear it out loud, which is a weird take, but sure. Good for you. Go girl. Uh on the Zocalo, Malari is very obviously overjoyed to be back in familiar environs. He's bantering with a merchant and generally having a great old time. Until he turns around and there's Jakar. They meet eyes across the hall. Electricity crackles in the air. They cross the space. There's a moment of silence. And then Jakar simply says, My world is now free. You no longer exist in my universe. Which is a sick burn, but buddy, nobody believes that. There's simply too much weird tension between you two to simply wash your hands of each other. Around a brand new conference table that is very shiny and does not look like it came from a CPK. This is definitely much more like 90s office, office surplus right out of the Silicon Valley. Uh, Bester is- Spoils of war from the, from, I'm going to say the shadows because the Vorlons, the Vorlons feel more like open concept. Yeah. No, I buy that. I buy that. The the shadows definitely, definitely had a, had like, a space in San Francisco that 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 tracks. The shadows Im- invented the cubicle. Ooh, well, fuck them then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lita Bester is currently feigning offense at the presence of Lita. He uh, is insulted that they would bring a blip to the table that, by all rights, he should be dragging back to Earth and Psychor. Sheridan reacts <laughs> with completely berserk, out of proportion threats uh he says that he doesn't really give a shit what bester thinks and in a perfect world he'd and i'm quoting verbatim nail your head to the table light it on fire and feed the remains to the pakmara but it's not a perfect world the whole table is like jesus man what did delen put in your lunchbox i think I, I think what we have here is get the hell get the hell away from my new adopted daughter yeah, I feel like there's definitely like some dad energy here, but I also think it's a little bit of like, what? Maybe I can do a war crime against the the, the Psycor. Maybe he's. Tr- I think he's trying to pick a fight with the Psycor, thinking maybe there's a war crime he can do there. Bester is on is on flustered because nothing flaps Bester. <laughs> nothing yet. He says he's got information about the next phase of the president's plan, but there's a price. He wants to go back to Zahadum. And look for technology to help free his girlfriend. I don't know what the appropriate term is for when you have a a woman that's a prisoner of yours that you cultivate an inappropriate power relationship with. Victim? Okay, fine. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, I feel like all the other words are going to get us having to put it like a trigger warning on this episode. So Zach, speaking for everyone at the table, responds with a hearty, are you fucking bananas, you jackbooted Looney Tune? Uh, now I am paraphrasing. That's not verbatim. Uh, while the command staff debates the issue, Bester proves he's exactly as unreliable as they all know he is and tries to scan everyone, but keeps getting blocked. When he tries to scan Lita, she telepathically smacks the shit out of him. 
so hard that his head snaps back. Zach asks him if he's feeling all right, and Besser responds with a deeply confused, uh, yes, fine. And he gives Lita uh, a look, who just responds with a smug motherfucking smile, uh, which is very good. They eventually agree, and phase two is revealed. Outside of a near for- nearby Earth Force base, a flight of Psychor Star Furies have been staged, and the plan is to destroy some Earth Force blockade ships and blame it on B5. All the strategic subtlety of a game of Stratego. Um, I feel like the president learned all of his military, got all of his military like plans from, I don't know, like a game of Battleship. He's probably like a Command and Conquer fan or something. I feel like that's giving him way too much credit. That or he's like safe scumming. By the way, I will say I, I to, to anybody who is in the comments, say like if you choose to reload a save, you are valid. Your games are however you want to have fun. There you go. I save scum all the time, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) He says that they need to scramble some fighters out there immediately in order to prevent this. So Ivanova gets out in some Star Furies and they arrive just in time to save a flight of Earth Force Star Furies who, upon being saved, incredulously ask, I thought you guys were supposed to be the bad guys. And you can almost see the cue card in the reflection of his helmet given how awkwardly this line is delivered. Meanwhile, while that, that team is sent out to the Earth Force blockade, uh, Bester gets to ride on a White Star, which is a real bananas fucking scene. Him just sort of like lurking on the White Star. It's the second time. Yeah. <laughs> and him trying to sit in the captain's chair. Jesus. Yeah. On the way, Bester and Lita chat, and he acts like a huge bag of dicks, uh, as per usual. He threatens her with information she doesn't want to get out. And, but before they can really go anywhere with it, they notice they get to Zaha Doom and they notice what looks like an evacuation from the planet. Dark servants, according to Delenn, who gives her usual Minbari, uh, wise and all knowing jibber jabber speech. Uh, Lita says the planet feels dead, at which point Sheridan, having one of his usual moments of insight, tells them to get the fuck out of there before Bester can get too offended by their reneging on the plan. It turns out that the planet has been booby trapped. And sure enough, the planet explodes as they flee from Zaha Doom. I feel like that's an ignominious way for the like first inhabited planet to, to go, to go a bad way. But what are you going to do when they get back? There's an awkward scene where, Bester talks to his corpsicle girlfriend, victim, whatever, and says a lot of ominous stuff and shakes his fist, but I don't really care. I didn't even bother to summarize it. Um, We can talk about it in the discussion. Then Sheridan goes to see Lita and they chat a little bit. And Sheridan is like, I kind of know what's up. And, you know, she's like, well, theoretically, hypothetically, if something like that had happened, it would be because I really wanted to fuck over Bester because he's the son of a bitch. Sheridan's like, I get it. Theoretically, if you had done that, I would empathize. But theoretically, you know, hypothetically, if you ever do that again, I'll fucking send you to Psychor myself. And she gets a really freaked out look on her face. And maybe all that like paternal dad energy goes away for a second. And you realize that he's a war criminal, not just your dad. In the closing scene, still unnamed wacky Regent three wakes from a dream, giggling in dismay (laughs) Um, God bless this actor. I, I mean, 
<laughs> for uh, he is, is he the best unnamed character in the show? He is so committed. Season two. He's so committed to this this shtick that he's got going. It's fucking fantastic. Um, he goes to pour himself a drink, uh, and then stops and look holds up a mirror and discovers he's got a weird neck tumor eyeball thing on him. Uh, God, I wonder that what that could be. Yeah. Dun dun dun, and that's the episode. So the first thing I want to talk about is is Earthcore or er, 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 Earth Dome's plan for <laughs> uh, recapture or er, er, shutting down Babylon Five. You're which supposed is that, to put air quotes up when you say things like that. It's it's p- their plan. <laughs> yeah. Um. So <laughs> each of the each of the separate things, like the Earth Force Intel, like the Special Forces, Earth Force, and Psychor, are all going to get their own plans. But they aren't allowed to share information, and they're being kept separated. Do you know who does this? Do you know who <laughs> fucking does this with their plans? A fucking Sailor Moon villain. <laughs> this is like. This is like. I've. I've. Okay. I've. I want all of my minions to have their own plans, and they're not going to talk with each other, so they can't coordinate. And like this is how you get villains of the week that are utterly forgettable. Is your contention that President Clark is a weeb? No, I think he's from the Negaverse. Okay. Okay. Uh, follow-up <laughs> question. Follow-up question. Which is worse, being a weeb or being a villain from the Negaverse? I mean, it's a weeb. That's a, like, I mean, at least I, I mean, like, like, Santi, like Santiago is awful. And just like, he's totally not a Sailor Moon villain because he has no, he has no ounce of style in his body. Well, Clark, Santiago was the... Uh, Clark, was Clark whatever. Guy. I'm getting my presidents mixed up. Yeah. Clark is like, you know, just utterly forgettable um, in terms of both personality and appearance. I I just, I do find this to be like an utterly hilarious idea of like how inept it is. Like this is Power Rangers <laughs> level of like... It's, evil it's absolutely cartoonish. And it's like, it's like that thing... That you do when, like, you know that all of your allies are, in fact, scheming against you. So you're yeah. like, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a good plan. Extremely stupid, I believe, is the term, you're, the, the word you're going for. <laughs> do you know what it is? It's we've got 22 episodes of the season. We got to fill some time. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, it's they've got 22 episodes to cover two seasons worth of material. Why are we wasting our fucking time on this shit? I'm going to remind you that you asked that in a few minutes when we get to the next episode. Because yeah, that question is quite a bit more pertinent in the next episode <laughs> than in this one. Because at least this one has Bester. Yeah, which and makes Bester any episode worth watching. I mean, but he's not even used well. He shows up. He's here to soliloquize, soliloquizes badly to his popsicle victim <laughs> girlfriend and makes telepath eyes at Lita. And that's it. Yeah. You could have had him be any like he, he really doesn't get used very well in this episode. And I love Bester. You know yeah. that. I love Bester. But he is not well deployed in this episode. They He's basically definitely did not get their money's worth out of Walter Koenig in this episode. I, I do always enjoy... Koenig and Boxlentner playing off against each other, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that scene where Shat- where Sheridan, I almost said Shatner, <laughs> where Sheridan is like, nail your head to the table, light you on fire, and feed you to the Pogmara is so wildly 
out of nowhere and over the top. And then Bester is just like, why so hostile? And he's so like, and b- like, like just chill about it. Like, this is a Tuesday. Like people threaten to like dismember him like every day of the week. Like it's no big deal to Bester. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like he's got the shit eating smirk, right? Yeah. Ugh. I want to talk about the op- the opening party. <laughs> yes. So first of all, the bar music is just like, it's like I Anna pointed out that the music that they play is is played from a B five bar in like last season, but yeah, it sounds like so the for for the audience that episode where Franklin is like at the start of the Stims plot where he and Garibaldi are in the bar and Garibaldi's trying to like get him to dance with unsuspecting dance with victim fourteen. Uh, it's the same music. It's the exact same music. And the music, like, especially just because it's being played in, like, the forefront, and, it just isn't, and it's, like, it's not dialed back so that mm-hmm. people can have a conversation. It sounds like just, like, Star Wars filler music from a 90s LucasArts game. See, I was going to go with Leisure Suit Larry, but okay, that's I like this Star Wars also works. Yeah. I could see that, like, a faux cantina tune. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is dancing like it's VJ Day. Um, it's like it's 1945 and like everybody's like got like their arms up and they're just like I I have no fucking clue what that is well yeah I I really wanted to see like the Narns doing some like bizarre lizard ritual dance or something Uh, and the Centauri doing some like synchronized orgy in the corner Uh, like where's the alien like the alien victory dances here I'm absolutely down for the monks dancing like it's VJ Day, though. <laughs> it's that, yeah. that is funny. Something that is very cute in this episode is that the woman that Franklin is dancing with is Richard Biggs's uh, then fiance. Okay. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. cute. Other things that I noticed in this episode, and I am so, I am so, so fucking mad they didn't do it. JMS, you are a fucking coward for not having a Centauri Elvis impersonator. Yes. What oh in the my world? God. He's like, I like, there is literally in the line of Elvis impersonators, there's the three Elvis impersonators, the Elvi, there are the three Elvi, a woman, and then a Centauri walks in. And you had the opportunity and you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> you blew it. No, yeah, that'd be self. so good. From tonight's Bad Pod recording. Commission a picture of a Centauri Elvis. Also, um, sorry, Jakar make a note when Jakar and Londo meet in the Zocalo, and Jakar's <laughs> line that he drops here is: "He says my world is now free. You no longer exist in my universe." And that is like Jakar dropping his own Taylor Swift album. Yes, it's very like <laughs> it's. I saw that line and I I cracked up when I saw that in the notes. It very much sounds like a Taylor Swift lyric. I I love that scene though because oh, it like especially I love the start of the scene because it shows that you know Lando is back to the station and he's he's feeling joy in his heart and he is tormenting somebody in the service industry. <laughs> yeah, I like that that's that's how they demonstrate that that Lando is back on his bullshit. He's not in not in the strip club. He's not tanked in his quarters. He's tormenting some poor vendor on the Zocalo. Yes. God. 
Okay, what else do I have on here? Um, so I like how like we like we have we have our first set of villains with the Earth Force trio of like bad plans, but we also have these mysterious dark servants who are that that sounds like our next one and a half seasons of bad guys. I I love how I love how we like the these mysterious dark servants that we've never. We could never think of these things ever having existed, despite Sheridan having fucking traveled to the fucking future and met with fucking future Londo, who told him about fucking Dark Servants, who went to fucking Centauri Prime. I like, feel like the first yeah. thing you should do, half, like when you get debriefed from a time travel thing, is just write it all fucking down. Yeah, yeah make some notes. Dark yeah. Servants. <laughs> yeah. I creature. Centauri. Yeah, I, I mean, so, so I do want to say here, the, now that the bad guys are defeated, this sounds an awful lot like the scouring of the Shire. <laughs> just, just a little. I yeah. mean, I mean, it's only, it's only going to get more so, buddy. Just wait, it's only going to get more so. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, this is. Is it okay? Hold on, I have a question. I have a process. I have a, a process question for Anna here. How do we feel about crusade spoilers? Uh, have I ever watched Crusades? I feel like I did once, but I feel like I also purged it from my memory completely. Well, because like the first episode of Crusade goes hard on the scouring of the of the Shire metaphor. Yeah, I mean, like I don't fucking remember anything from Crusades really? because it's bad. All right, well, I'm just gonna do it then because uh, I don't think it. My recollection is that it doesn't spoil anything in the end of Babylon 5. And if I'm wrong, I don't care. So the first episode, Justin, of Crusade involves the Dark Servants using a shadow weapon, a version of their planet killer, to poison Earth and make it make it so that everybody that's on Earth has like seven years until they all die and nobody can go to Earth. <laughs> God, that's dumb. <laughs> that's Crusade's whole thing, is Crusade is on a mission to like discover how to like save earth from this shadow weapon and meanwhile they discover like fourth four dimensional beings that live in hyperspace and there's like this whole like hyperspace civilization plot line that never really goes hyperspace, anywhere hyperspace the final frontier yeah these are the voyages of Crusade. a god-awful fucking sci-fi show yeah i have some points besides spoiling Crusade for you. And like that description of Crusade, I like downed whatever was left of my Baja blast punch. <laughs> uh, we, I think we need to address the elephant in the room here. We need to talk about Disney Planet. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, so, so. As I okay. said in my summary, the single most valid piece of world building this show has ever done. Because if you don't think Disney is some someday going to buy a planet, I'm just saying, it might be Earth. I don't know, but they're going to buy a planet. They're going to have a country at some point, at least. I just love the casual mention of Disney Planet. Yeah, no, so how big do we think that Disney Planet is? Do we think it's like a moon they're calling a planet? No, I think it's a planet. I think they... No, yeah, it's okay, got here's... a planet that has full biomes, right? Extrapolate extrapolate from where Disney is Well, no, is it's today. only got one biome, and that's parking lot. <laughs> Disney owns no the moon basically is the everything lot. good, right? Disney owns almost everything good in media. Now give them another couple hundred years to keep doing that, and now imagine you want to make a theme park for all of that. You just have a planet. 
And every continent is like you've got the Marvel continent and the Star Wars continent. See, I, just, I'm just just fanning themselves at the idea no, no, it, of a Star it's Wars continent. Um, uh-huh, no, I, uh-huh. no, it's all right. I it's okay. I you're you're thinking about like an entire state of X-wing rides. I I, mean, I, I know it. <laughs> I mean, in a world where like Star Furies exists and stuff, I would like to get in an X-wing and blow something up. But yeah. um, I mean, it's I'm also like terrified at the thought of what Disney would own in the year 22, A planet, apparently. Yeah, apparently a planet. <laughs> Can only imagine what the hotel is like. <laughs> I feel like the parking lot has got to be whatever moon is orbiting this planet. Yeah, probably. Deprived of all of all original native life, just glassed over, honeycombed yeah. into parking yeah, spaces. Yeah, just, you, it's you just park, been paved over. You park your you park a you know a selfie of your latitude and longitude coordinates. <laughs> I do. I I have spent hours, hours walking in Disneyland parking lot. This is why I have not got back in fifteen years. I've now spent over half my life avoiding Disneyland just so I never have to go back to a parking yeah. lot. Well, I I have something I have something that I want to talk about here, which is like, God fucking damn it, Londo! Like, Londo, I I get that you're like freaked out about your personal safety which like for good reasons but like also you you just finished no 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 no. you just started cleaning up all of the chaos that you wrought on centauri prime from the last time you went to babylon 5 and meddled with politics so now you're going to fuck off go to babylon 5 (laughs) and meddle with politics back on centauri prime See, what I think Lotto recognizes here is that he knows that he will get yeah. fucking murdered if he stays on Centauri Prime. Yeah, no, I think that's very clearly his point. Is, and is, his, and the, and the, his, somehow, somehow, his odds of getting <laughs> murdered go down if he's on Babylon 5. Yeah. Which is uh, buck wild, but, it's like, but true. Buddy, you just, you just, like, you just had to deal with like all of the shit that you caused while you were away from home and now you're leaving again i also appreciate in this episode that we have lita who is asking the real questions that we as like viewers uh, critical viewers have been asking about telepaths for the last three and change seasons yeah, why doesn't anybody ever talk to the telepaths except when they need something? Yeah, it's because y'all are fuck. Because it's just like literally, it's just y'all are weird. Well, that and because telepaths are effectively a a utility that the the Babylon Five staff uses and disposes of. They're like organic cell phones. Uh, I I have a question about Wacky Minister Number Three. Yes, is it just me? Or is there some very overt queer coding? I think, so I don't, I, I think it's, I don't want to call it queer, co- like, or no, it is queer coding, but in the sense of we're going to make a foppish character and make him effeminate and that's just, we're going to play off a stereotype. Okay. Because I. Yeah, like, like, I mean, like, there's nothing queer about it. It's just, you're playing a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of the Centauri are foppish in that way. Yeah. It was mostly the 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 effeminate stuff and then like the the going for the drapes and the pastels at 
after he becomes regent, like that whole bit there seemed very. I, I think it's just playing into a stereotype, I think, or for that one. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's an easy character thing, and it's like it, it's we've got this very foppish, frivolous minister, and yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. I, I mean, I'm when I'm saying it's if, fine, if I'm, it's just like. I yeah. accept it. Gotcha. <laughs> it's like it exists, yeah. and I guess I'm gonna live with it. He's yeah. funny. Like that's that's the thing. Yeah. Is that's funny. I do and like he, that. This is and he's he's been cracking these awful jokes since sick transfer for beer. Like he's been around since then. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Here's my other question: Did Zach Allen always act this badly, or was it just this episode that? Jeff Conway apparently forgot how acting works because that scene with him in receiving in, or in arrivals is it's sort of kind of just like it's a, little, it's a little awkward. Yeah, it's like he's mugging for the camera. I think it's supposed to be because it is a funny scene. Like it is a funny scene and it works because he's like he he's just being like. So what it is, is Zach is being a doofus because he's trying to look cool for the new kids. Yeah. And I, so he's just like mugging because he's like, you never know what you're going to see here in Arrivals. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he's just like, he's trying to be like, yeah, I'm the cool sergeant. Uh, you know, I'm the one yeah. who makes jokes. I'm not going to be mean to you. I do think like the 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 whole three, like the whole Malari, Bester, Elvis yeah. is a really good triad. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Londa's little, little, um, like little thing of, the Emperor said that I would only be allowed back to Babylon 5 over his dead body. And yeah. you said I would only be allowed to come back onto Babylon 5 over your own dead body. And Mr. Allen, you will simply <laughs> have to wait your turn. <laughs> yeah. very. Every time I see that line, I laugh. Because it's very like... And it, You know he's like, inside, Londo thinks he's extremely funny when he says that. You, yeah, you and know he's like, cracking himself up. And it fits the scene where he's also mugging to, like, these random security officers never had before. Because I bet you that Wando knows exactly, like, knows every security officer before he left and remembers them. Because he knows which ones he can bribe. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and then, um, and then that's then followed by Bester mugging for the new security people. <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very, I assume like, my, my usual scene. cell in the brig is still available. I've grown so attached to it. <laughs> I, I think it is like this scene is just like, it's a little bit cute. It's winking at the camera. Uh, we don't see it often, but it's fun. Interesting note that character, uh, wacky minister three is, uh, Minister Verini. Oh, he does have a name. Yeah, apparently, th- yeah, that that name sounds familiar. We we've never learned. I it. I think we um, learned it in Sick Transit Veer, and it's never been restated. Yeah. I think it. I think I. I think I might have pulled it off a wiki page for one of my summaries, but yeah. Um, but it's just like it, it is. It is very much like it's just a thing. I really enjoy him as a recurring character. Yeah, it's just like a fun bit that is just like, it's a character that exists and it's fun. It's like he survived because he's so harmless. And he's prime minister now. Good for him. Uh, Yeah, it goes real good for him, though. Now he's got a, oh, now he's got a weird, like, blinking eye lesion tumor thing. He's got a roommate. He's cohabitating. That prop is creepy as hell. And let's see. The last note I have is uh, as they're leaving Lita's quarters, 
uh, Zach offers to help her unpack and bring a pizza, which is a nice thing. She's just complained that nobody ever like wants to hang out with her. And he's like, well, okay, when we get through this part, like when we get done with this, you know, Bester being here, give me a call. I'll bring a pizza over and I'll help you unpack. It's a nice thing to do. And she gives him this look of just unfiltered disdain. (laughs) It's completely unfiltered. And then he earns it. As she turns to go, he gives her this completely gross, like, nice pants look. <laughs> Just looks right at her ass as she walks out. It's, and it's you know, this whole it's scene. Scene. Garibaldi and Talia in the elevator you know- again. Yeah, the whole scene is just a fucking roller coaster. That's why she looks at him like that. Because she can read his fucking oh, sh- mind. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You're, this is why, even if like, you're not right, that is such a good justification. I hate you for it. So, so this you is just why, took all the wind out of my sails. There, this is why Scott Summers primarily sleeps with telepaths, is because that all of them don't like all of them realize that he drinks his respect women juice. <laughs> my my last my last thing here is um. So last episode we talked about like the weird fucking camera work on the show anytime they need to show something yeah. with telepaths and here we go yeah. listeners uh jude <laughs> is panning panning and zooming and like your dutch angles <laughs> oh i thought i did it right and then justin busts out the 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 star trek ship having turbulence effects over there <laughs> Oh god. I've I've watched too many Star Trek set videos that I'm like oh. Yeah, no, I know how to do that. And I, I, I lied that was not in fact my actual last note here, but my last note here is of course Garibaldi shaves with a fucking straight razor. Yeah. Nobody actually okay, here's my nobody actually fucking shaves with a straight razor. His robe, like everything he owns, looks like it was bought by a blind mobster from the 80s. <laughs> and then he inherited it like 300 years later and is like, this looks like something a blind mobster 300 years ago <laughs> died in. I wear that. I, I struggle to imagine what the logic was when the costume designers were picking the material for some of his his outfits. Were they just like... That he's an unfashionable git <laughs> pig? Well... N- Here's here's my so here's my I've never seen a cop that is dressed well. Here's my no prize suggestion. I'm guessing that the actor, not the character, but the actor may have not exactly endeared himself to the costume department and that this was his punishment. <laughs> yeah, that's plausible. All right. That's all I had well, to do. Dude, you wanted to talk about the Jakar, Jakar scenes, right? Oh yes. I do I did want to talk about Jakar. Yeah, Jakar's. God bless him. That scene with Garibaldi is so pure. He just embraces Garibaldi, the only person on the station that just likes Garibaldi and embraces him. And the the pure joy in his voice when he is like heaving Garibaldi into the air in welcome is so good. And the way he describes it is, you were the only person outside of my species that I would risk capture for. And as a result, I was captured and put in a position to free my people. I love that he has that outlook on the universe about it. That he is so 
I don't know. I just think it's it's very much a part of who Jakar is becoming. And I really, really like yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I also really like the scene with him in Med Bay as well. Like that we can we can mock Franklin <laughs> and the weird medical devices and everything. But Yeah, you're right, I can. You know, his reaction to Franklin suggesting that Yeah, you know, there could be a prosthetic and Franklin's like, you know, you know, giving all the caveats of like it won't, you know, there'll be some technical difficulties yeah. and like you can't get near power sources and all that. And Jakar's like, I will take it. Thank you for trying. I do like appreciate that scene for like the the frankness, the like the the very frank and like open discussion of like prosthetics is like a pretty cool like I I think it's a very nice like little bit of I like world building and it's a cool little moment of just like like there's no like Jakar never wants angst over his eye and there is no like stigma or anything there's no like alien there's no like narn taboo against cybernetics or something that they toss in there right yeah they don't it's not stigmatized it's not stigmatized at all he's just like yeah man stick that fucking thing in there it's gonna get even better in a couple episodes all right um we done with the time to go to illusion of truth Um, i think so i don't have a whiskey bottle in this room anymore (laughs) Do you still have um, any Baja Blast? Uh, the Baja, though, there's a little bit of Baja Blast, but it's unspiked in the fridge. So, um, here we are with Illusion of Truth, our second journalism episode. I once again fell on the sword to do the summary of this one because neither neither of the rest of us would would do it because we both hate these journalism episodes yeah, so much. Uh, I freely admit I'm gonna get. I'm not going to interrupt you too much in this uh, this. Uh, mostly because I didn't watch this episode. I absolutely refuse to. I'm going on memory of the first time I watched this episode, and I haven't watched it since. Sorry, Stephen, first. Uh, bless you. This is your first directed episode, but I just I couldn't do it. Anyway, carry on. So Earth's first attack against B5 might have been thwarted in, in Epiphanies, but the quarantine is going strong, and we open on Sheridan and Ivanova discuss, discussing the latest problems, including Sheridan's current inability to contact his parents in the wake of a report from his father about strangers in town asking questions about the family. Even with the struggles due to Earth banning travel to the station, uh, things are apparently going smoothly on B5 itself now that Zack has taken over as head of security. Ivana comments on this and honestly, girl, you really need to learn not to say these things out loud because the very next scene is of Zack in the docking bay, overseeing an issue with some new arrivals to the station, who are refusing to allow their cargo to be inspected. He turns on full macho mode and shoots the lock off the crate, snarking back when another officer compliments him on a shot that the crate might not have been where he was aiming. Buddy, buddy, pal, you should have just embraced being the dork you have been up until this point, um, the Garibaldi look is is not good on Garibaldi, let alone you, Mr. Allen. Anyway, uh, something pops out of the open crate. And smile, Zach, you're on candid camera. The newcomers to the station are apparently a reporter and his crew. Back with Sheridan, Franklin informs him of the off-screen B-plot. The cryo units with the frozen telepaths are in danger of malfunctioning. So they're 
going to be doing some swapping of frozen people um, from tube to tube in order to get the problem fixed. Sheridan heads off to meet the latest threat to the station, Dan Randall, ISN News. As Sheridan and Ivanova meet the reporter, we get some fun dialogue where the reporter mentions that Ivanova threatened to throw him out an airlock, and Sheridan chides her for not planning to strip the reporter naked first, since the station needs all the resources it can get. The reporter tries to make a good first impression, though, and insists that he is not part of the ISN propaganda machine. You know, while there's no such thing as a truly objective journalist, uh, he and some others at the network are apparently trying to get at least some of the truth out there. Sheridan agrees to work with him under the understanding that Randall will at least try to represent the point of view that Sheridan and the station have. Uh, yeah, I, I don't believe it either. I'm like putting, like, you know, just drill a bolt into my head. This was painful to watch. Who's that dumb? This is the guy who defeated the old ones. And he's like... The old yes. ones? I'm sorry, what, what franchise <laughs> are we talking? The first ones. He just defeated the Shadows and the Vorlons, but he's apparently outfoxed by a Fox News reporter. Yeah. Oh, God. I hate this episode. It's just the worst. Sheridan delegates the task of showing Randall around the station to Lanier, uh, presumably under the idea that Randall will trust Lanier's tour since Mimbari don't lie. Lanier is not thrilled by this idea, but agrees. Uh, along the way, he explains things like that the station is currently repla uh, repairing league ships that were damaged in the Shadow War for cost of materials alone. Uh, and, and he describes the state of Down Below, um, as well as Sheridan's current programs to help the lurkers who live there. Uh, next up, Randall sets up a joint interview of Sheridan and Delenn, where he asks about B-5 breaking away from Earth, Clark's role in the assassination of President Santiago, and John and Delenn's relationship. Finally, before he leaves, he stops by down below again and heads to the table where Garibaldi is running his uh, freelance PI business. After... Literally 0.3 seconds of coaxing, Garibaldi turns out to be more than happy to talk about precisely what he thinks about Sheridan and the current state of the station. So now we get to the back half of the episode. Sheridan, Delenn, and Ivanova set themselves up with dinner in front of the TV in Sheridan's office, and we all get to watch the ISN broadcast along with them. Oh boy. Alongside the fun bits, like headlines and this day in history type of stuff, where we learned that apparently the Luna Colony was founded in 2018, uh, we all have the dubious pleasure of watching sci-fi Fox News run its hit piece on Sheridan. Randall claims that all the human residents of the station have been forced to down below, where they are denied medical care, and that Minbari such as Lanier are their overseers and any dissidents are sedated and disappeared by station personnel. Randall then claims that these people are being put into the station cryo units, uh, backing up this by his footage of overhearing Franklin uh, talking to his staff over the link regarding repairing the units, uh, as well as the team snooping in MedLab and finding, finding the cryo storage zone and the interview with Franklin. Um, where Franklin says that, no, they don't use cryogenics routinely in routine medical care on the station. In addition to these more generic lies uh, regarding the interpretation and context of all of that footage, 
the interview of Sheridan and Delenn has been replaced by an entirely different version, which has been, shall we say, creatively edited. Their replies have been staged as responses to very different questions, which were reported separately in post and spliced in. Randall also brings in an outside expert who diagnoses Sheridan as suffering from something called Mimbari War Syndrome, in which veterans of the Earth Mimbari War develop a inferiority complex regarding humans after seeing the military power of Mimbari firsthand. This expert goes as far as to agree that it's possible that people experiencing such a syndrome could turn against humanity. And Randall speculates that Sheridan wants to use the League fleet to force humans to become part Mimbari like Delenn is. Randall remarks that Sheridan must also be under stress due to the recent fire that destroyed his family's home and the disappearance of his father. The broadcast ends and Ivanova, then Delenn, then Sheridan walk out of the room in absolute silence, with Sheridan turning the screen to black on his way out. So, you fucking putz. So, so I just want to say about. I just want to talk about like the the premise of this episode, which involves the every character in the show recognizing that this has to be a trap, putting on their fucking dunce cap and saying, <laughs> "Yeah, sure, let's give you a free reign of the station." And I talked to somebody about this, and they, and he was like, or "Like this was the best case scenario." I'm like, no, the best case scenario is you kick them off your fucking station, and all they get is like. Yeah. Yeah, because if they kicked them off the station, then all they would get is, like, exterior shots and, like, oh, they were so mean, they didn't let us in the station, oh no. Yeah, and then it's like, and it's like, no, you gave them footage for a fascist government and you believed a fascist at their word. Um, which, oh, God. you know. And, like, they could have just gotten, like, fucking Lita in there to be like, is this guy on the up and up? Yeah, this is the part where you have, like, a telepath. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to have a telepath at your call, who you apparently only ever call when you need to scan someone, not when they just want to hang out, why would you not use her here to be like, okay, you can have free reign of the station, but the telepath is going to follow you everywhere. And every time you lie, she's going to like, I don't know, like ring a buzzer. She's going to, she's just going to, she's just going to lying. Like Lion Cat. Or or even just like or even just that first dialogue where where the yeah. reporter's like, Oh no, I totally am like anti anti the earth fascist and I'm just trying to do my part to get the truth out there. You can totally trust me. And it's like if if Lita had been there, it would have been like the alarm klaxons over this dude's head. Yeah, in the background Lita's just like Lying. Have have either of you read Saga? Yeah, yeah. at least part. I'm of just it. thinking of Lion Cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lying, lying, lying. So here's my head cannon for this episode. I just choose to believe that Lita's also were getting baked <laughs> <laughs> because she's done with this bullshit. She's like, I'm taking a vacation. I'm gonna go down below. I'm gonna smoke some weed. Fuck y'all. <laughs> Pretty much. You think, you think weed is like enough? For a telepath as strong as her, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure it just helps her. You know, it helps her relax. And you know, just like. But does a telepath that strong want to relax? I mean, it could. I mean, it could be for other things. You know, maybe. I mean, like just de-stress because, frankly, Lena is the most stressed person. I could honestly, I could honestly see her like taking a shuttle and 
a bong and like going out into space. <laughs> yeah. She just has parking like, like 10,000 miles from any other sentient Like going being, out to the other side just of Just so she doesn't have to hear thoughts. And it's like leader reminds me of like Rachel Summers. <laughs> so like this is how I'm associating with her like like I'm just like both kind of like total like yeah. She's just on a shuttle somewhere. She's like, or she's down there with Zathras, like just charitable. <laughs> yeah. Like I am sure that Zathras's cannot be read psychically. <laughs> the Zathrai are just psychic nulls. Oh god, this episode—it's got some good bits, but like, I I can never decide whether I hate this one or and now from a for a word more. Now for a word is just like. I think it's just weak. Like that's 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 like I think that was our that was my mm-hmm. consensus on it was that it, it's just weak. This one requires like everyone on the station at once saying this is a good idea yeah. and being so fucking raw. And now for a word, it, like the I find the format infuriating. Like I find it like actively anxiety inducing to watch that kind of format. This episode is like half that. Plus, everybody's IQ drops like 100 points. Yeah. I know IQ is a false metric, blah, 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 blah. I mean, everybody just acts dumb. And they, for a group of people that literally just defeated two ancient empires, they suddenly are, as I said, outfoxed by a yutz with a camera and a bad die job. Like, And, and like I posted on Twitter, like, here's, here's the prime example of Franklin this is and and B5 in general. This is why you do not put your cell phone on your hand in permanent yeah. speakerphone mode where you cannot deny calls. God, it, it's just like, it's so I I did I did want to flip back just briefly to the com- uh the comparison to enough for a word. Okay. Cuz I think that it is an interesting comparison like I I do hate the degree of like suspension of disbelief we need in this one for the scenario to even happen but i appreciate the honesty of it in some ways like that we we had a problem with and now for a word where it's like they aren't going hard enough with the kind of like propaganda aspect yes if the i think but like if you combine those two you might have like an interesting episode to show like to show like, oh, wow, this is how Earth is trying to manipulate stuff right yeah. now. And John gets pretty pissed about it. That would be like a good episode. Yeah. Like for season two. Yeah. If you'd replaced a now for a word with this guy and this reporting style. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a hell episode. It would be my. <laughs> but probably a better episode. Yeah. You would st- you would still hate it, Jude. I would still hate it, but I would at least respect that it was doing something smarter than what yeah. it's doing. Than what either of the either of the two episodes are doing. I do want to talk about some things that I did like in this episode because I'm going to be nice. So, I think there is a fun little thing we talk about that there is an inter the, there is an interspecies monotheistic religion um in Garibaldi like getting his first case. Oh yeah. We get some context for what the great maker is. Yeah. That that Londo often swears by. Which is which is sort of cute. And it seems um, like it's it seems like it's almost like a a religion classification or something. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting piece. 
And I, I honestly enjoy Garibaldi a lot more in his like jackass PI role. That's because the show is inviting you to hate him. Yeah. Is my belief. In when he's chief of security, you're supposed to think he's a protagonist. And right now he's not a protagonist, not like an antagonist, but he's like clearly not one of the good guys right he's, he's now. He's a brainwashed schmuck. So you're allowed to think he's he's an asshole. The show is encouraging you to think he's an yeah. asshole. So you're able to buy into the concept of his character. And it, and it works. Yeah. He's been playing an asshole the whole time. He's good at it. We have um, Lanier with those stupid hover cameras. Like, yeah. And, and the little, and like the, the asshole who's like working that just keeps bumping it into Lanier. Uh, um, because like that, they're just doing it to piss him off. Lanier has the patience of a saint. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've said two nice things. So now, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a cool. There, there's gonna be like a cool fun fact here, and then we're gonna dish on JMS. Okay. So okay. there is a dude who is interrogated and gives some names of other conspirators against mm-hmm. Earth. Okay. All of the names in the confession are direct references to Huac and various entertainers or writers who were targeted during the Red Scare and blacklisted <laughs> in Hollywood. Yep. It's um, a little on the nose, but okay. I yeah. Um also, this is an error this is a this is a goof that people make before Wikipedia and it is insanely funny. Is that John is that the, the, the news report references what is obviously Stockholm syndrome <laughs> But calls it Helsinki syndrome. Oh my god! Stockholm syndrome is like a documented phenomenon that we have sort of disproved now. There's only one instance where it's called Helsinki syndrome, and that's in fucking Die Hard, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you watch Die Hard, and you thought of this, and you put Helsinki syndrome in the script, and you know what you did, and you're gonna own up to it. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's a thing that a writer in the year 2021 Googles and says, oh, that's actually Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, okay. Like, I'm just thinking of that weird. And this is what happens when you're just like, I don't want to make a trip to the library because that, that, like, it's nine o'clock at night. I need to finish the script. And this is sticking in my brain. And nobody, like, when people read through the script, nobody's thinking like, this is Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Because that's just like, nobody thinks about it that you just read the script. Can you imagine somebody trying to give like, at this point in the show, like midway through season four, somebody trying to give JMS notes? <laughs> like, I think it's Helsinki syndrome and like the whole room gets real quiet. Uh, and everybody kind of looks at him and he's like, only show myself out. That's not a thing. And then I was like, where is this a thing? And then I was like, this motherfucker watched Die Hard. <laughs> The the uh, the other thing that was like a, a we'll call it a bold choice, but okay, okay. <laughs> setting the Luna That's colony a good way of putting it. being founded in 2018, and also like setting some sort of Clinton commission on the future in 1999. He's the, like he's called the North American president. <laughs> it's so funny. So here's my here's my headcanon on that. They've established there's a third world war, right? Have they? Yeah, I guess. I, I seem to recall they talk about there being like a big war. So here's my here's my headcanon. 
events immediately preceding that war are a little fuzzy. And so like there is the, the sequencing of events leading up to that war have been lost to like digital, digital record destruction. So nobody actually really knows when the lunar colony was founded. They're just sort of taking it on or, on oral <laughs> oral record. And nobody really knows anything about Big Willie except like what's been recorded to history, which, you know, obviously saxophones and and good times. Uh, not so much the, you know, the other horn blowing. So I think that he probably that's that's my headcanon here because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. He was. We'll call it a, a bold writer choice to set to. To set something as big as founding a colony on the fucking moon within a 30-year timeline or 35-year timeline. Not even 30-year, 20-year timeline. It was 99. It was less than 20 years away. I choose to believe the point of divergence from our timeline is like 1992. Maybe, you know, maybe it's 1994. Maybe the Republicans don't win the 1994 midterms and this country isn't irrevocably fucked. (laughs) Literally, the only useful thing, you can condense the the useful parts of the last episode down to like 15 minutes max. And this episode's a big fat fart in a spacesuit. So Uh, I don't want to say like that, like filler episodes or like this is like it's it's okay to have episodes that don't move the plot forward. It's just so long as they are doing something. Not when not when you've compressed an entire season of storytelling down to six episodes. Yeah. Could we have not maybe taken seven episodes or eight to to tell a story or like eight because- to tell a story about the the end of an apocalyptic war and maybe punted the shitty journal journalism episode? Yeah. Just throwing that out there. I feel like we could have gotten like a number of better like Earth Force spy plans for like the the Earth Force Power Ranger villain of the week. Yeah. Well, we get, we get some good Earth politicking episodes soon, though. One yeah. of my favorite episodes of all time is coming. Yeah. Out. We're, we're gonna we're gonna get to go. We're gonna get some Mars stuff. Yeah. yeah God, I love. I, it. I'm, I'm just looking at the camera right now. We're getting some more stuff. I love those episodes. Um, I'm I really love excited. Them. I love them for two, for one a very, very specific reason. <laughs> I'm like a psychopath right now. <laughs> there, there's also some wild stuff in that. So I personally choose to believe that one of the one of the things that has made Ivanova so angry about the ISN hit piece is that they misspelled Yuri Gagarin's name. That's <laughs> <laughs> what Yuri Gagarin. That's pretty good. It's like an, yeah, that that's un- <laughs> that's unforgivable. It's like oh god. And the other the other thing is like, so you were talking about how transparent the like terrorist threat on Babylon 5 thing is right and like who yeah. like the ISN is just like completely transparent with that and like the editing on the fake interview piece where you know he he's like recorded the questions and posts and spliced them in it's just so utterly half-assed like you can't tell me that ISN interstellar news network doesn't know how to get room tone right in something like that because the room tone is maybe wrong. they shot all their sound editors. <laughs> I mean, like, I choose to believe, like, with Sathras's personal convictions, 
I choose to believe that at least most sound editors like or sound mixers. Or no, I have multiple. I have multiple people who've done sound design in their in, in like in my close friends and family. Yeah, like there's Zathras, my sister, my stepfather. They are all good people with good personal convictions. <laughs> I'm sure. That I, yeah, all three of them would prefer to be shot than like work with a fascist. So like I, I choose to believe out of that incredibly telling sample size of sound engineers in my life. But you know, <laughs> maybe maybe ISN doesn't know how to mix sound properly. It's 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 so obvious. Like it's not and it's not just that the set is different. Like the set is different. He's at a different backdrop in like a chair that doesn't match the room. I th- so so I will say that like especially like there's a certain po- like in 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 our history of television sometimes you just have to telegraph shit yeah yeah like and I think it's like that's fine in this case we're like you're showing that this is obviously fake well and and that's one of the things that we're like where the episode is is iffy like I feel like if they're if they have to telegraph that so hard to us at the as the audience. Something has gone horribly wrong with this episode. Yeah. How bad that fake interview is just completely breaks suspension of disbelief for me. Like, beyond all the other breaking suspension of disbelief with this episode. Because it's like, you know, if it's, like, it's that obvious. And I get that they're trying to show us, the viewers, like, yes, this is obviously fake. But, like, we watched the interview. We watched the original interview. You could make it a little bit less obvious because we saw it ten minutes ago. Well, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think they want it to be I, obviously well, like this. Is also how fascist governments communicate. Like it's the idea yeah. that it's it might be obvious, but this is still being presented to you by the state, and you are accepting it. And if you challenge it, that makes you an enemy of the state because you are rejecting the state's truth. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's. That people won't call it on its bullshit is expected, uh, yeah. and like so, and so you can get away. You can just put this out. Okay. Do we have anything else we want to talk about for this episode? I do enjoy the banter between Sheridan and Ivanova as he's like mock scolding her. Like Ivanova, no, <laughs> you don't. You don't throw out the. You don't throw the reporter out the airlock. You strip him naked first. What's so, funny? So I, I in my my head canon is that like. He's he he's like joking with her, but in his head he's thinking about it. As the scene progresses, like Sheridan says, you know, we have an open door policy here on Babylon Five, and and Ivanova's like, and an open airlock policy, and Sheridan's like, too far, too far, too far. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I, I do have one thing. I do have one thing that I want to talk. Uh, I, I want to bring up here. The psychologist who's in this episode, oh, like the the, the Eisen brings on. He's played by a guy named Henry Darrow. He was in two episodes of Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which Boxelner had starred in. This is he is this this he is our honorary. This dude has been in fucking forever in Hollywood award this week. Okay, uh, props to you, Henry Darrow. You you like we haven't gotten many good guest actors this season, so I get to call out somebody um, because the only other person who gets who's like been reappe- reappearing is like. Morden and Minister No Name. Wacky Minister Three. I'm glad that episode's <laughs> over. Um, yeah. Next next week's next episode we start some real good shit. Yeah. Um next week we're gonna be covering Atonement and Racing Mars. Fuck yes. And I hope you are ready for me just 
rolling, reveling in Marcus bullshit. <laughs> it's, our, it's our boy. It's it's gonna be yep. it's gonna be filthy. It's so good. <laughs> yep. Well, you, you it's, listeners, you all have that to look forward to. Um. So yeah, Atonement and Racing Mars. Until next time, this has been Trent Crew from the Independence. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license.